0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and again, I'm going to say this because this is the only day I can say it. This is the first day of spring. I only get to say this once a year, and I'm so glad to have Dr. Mark Muska as my guest for the full hour, which means ask any question you like. It's called Ask the Professor. He's a retired professor of theology from the University of Northwestern and a dear friend. 877-933-2484. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I already have great questions coming in. Mark, you ready for me?
1: Yeah. You know, you can talk about spring. It doesn't look like spring out
0: there. <laughs> I know it doesn't.
1: you got to take it by faith.
0: I know. You really do, which is mm-hmm. great. All right. Let's jump into my first question. And it started in the last half hour. We were talking about Romans chapter five, sure. verses three and four. And in verse four, it says, and perseverance Proven character and proven character hope. And the question that came in when that was uh, heard was, um, how does proven character produce hope?
1: Yeah, that's really good.
0: I think so too.
1: I like the whole series that Paul gets into. Because he starts the whole shmeal by talking about being justified by faith, having peace with God in verse 1. And then he says we have this introduction of our faith into this grace in which we stand. We exult in the hope of the glory of God At verse 2. And he's going to come back to that in verse 4. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. And then he gets into this series. He says not only this, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And that's true. He didn't need to write that, did he? We know that. Mm -hmm. If you go through difficulties and uh, struggles like that, it, it, it allows us to persevere. And then the verse you talked about, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And then he finishes by saying, and hope does not disappoint because a lot of love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, I think uh, you know the, the the sequence here is very interesting, isn't it? I don't think you'd line these up necessarily with each other in a sequence like Paul does, but it really makes you think, and I think there's sense to it, because when you persevere over time, uh, that's how character is built. We don't need more characters in the church or in the world today. We need more people with character. Mm-hmm. Character is this idea of someone who lives by a, a very solid moral code and they practice integrity in their life, which is consistency in the way they live, in the way they talk, in the way they believe, uh, that's a person of character. I bet if your listeners would think about it for a minute, they could name at least two or three people like that in their lives that bear that kind of testimony. Mm-hmm. They are just rock solid with proven Character, not just character, but proven character because they come through these tribulations. And that proven character produces hope because we see ourselves and we are changing. And the Holy Spirit within us that he gets into there in verse 5, he is transforming us slowly but surely. But we see, hey, you know, I didn't mouth off to my friend like I usually do. (laughs) I was actually able to show patience. And you know what? That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. How about that? Yeah. A little bit of character building there. Or I was able to be patient with my child when usually I just, they know my triggers and they push those buttons and I fly off the handle. Didn't do that today either. So that proven character, that gives us hope. Hey, there's hope for the old boy or the old woman that uh, we're, we're becoming more like Christ, that the Spirit is transforming us. He's, he's making us more like jesus as we live i don't know about you that gives me great hope especially when i find i'm up against more trials that are really knocking me back on my heels well i've been down these paths before and i've seen god work and he's changing me so i can take these on it gives me hope
0: Mm, i like that mark very much you know when you mentioned you can think of a couple people that come to mind that have that proven character and, of course, one popped into my mind, and it's that proven character where I could say, predictably, 10 times out of 10, I can tell you exactly how he will, would respond.
1: Yeah, isn't that good? I it, like it's that the, word, predictability. I,
0: I can guarantee, if yep. you tell me the situation, I can tell you how he responded.
1: Yep. I agree,
0: yes, yeah.
1: and that's that thing again about tribulations or testing that produces that kind of character, and that's uh that's a great link yeah
0: you, know, you you see sometimes people on the news that that commit some crime or something, and they they say in a in an interview or somewhere down the road um you know i I don't know, that just wasn't me, yeah, and I thought, well, no, that was you because you did it <laughs> yep yeah yep.
1: yep, I like it
0: and the listener that asked that question uh said this. Mark used to occasionally, I think he's referring to you, Mark used to occasionally preach at my church, and I always thought, why couldn't I have a professor like that when I was in college?
1: Whoa. Isn't that nice? That's kind of fun.
0: I think it's very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Ask the professor. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. Mark Psalm 37, verse 4 is a great verse. A lot of people know that. By heart delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So let's just stop there. There's more to the verse, but let's stop there and say how do we delight in the Lord? Yeah. Step 1.
1: That, I think it's it's uh if, if given to us earlier in the psalm and, uh, and later as well, there's so many of these things that, that, that define what delighting in the Lord is. Uh, think of it, Bill, though, just think of the analogy. Do you have anybody in your life that you delight in? Somebody like that, you love to spend time with them. Mm-hmm. When you do, it doesn't seem like it's ever long enough. Uh, I remember with my son when he dated my future daughter-in-law, he said, this girl's different. We've been together for hours and the end of the day comes and I don't want to go home. And usually I'm kind of spent, you know, so he was (laughs) delighting in her. This Mm -hmm. was a delightful thing. So. That delighting in the Lord is when we we just love to be in His Word. We love to talk with Him about what's going on in our lives, and we bring everything to Him. So there's uh, there's all kinds of things in which we delight in the Lord. Verse one: Do not fret because of evil doers, or be envious toward wrongdoers. That's a way we delight in the Lord. Uh, verse three: Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I think all those are descriptive of what delighting in God is all about. And then the rest of the verse is that he's going to give us the desires of your heart because our desires themselves are going to be molded and shaped as we delight in the Lord. And I know if people just do a little introspection and think about this, if they've been a Christian for any amount of time at all, they know how their desires have been molded and shaped where things they used to desire uh, aren't as important anymore. And some of the things they never even knew about have become desires of their heart, and God grants those to us as we delight in him. So it's not like uh, Janice Joplin, you know, saying, Lord, uh, give me a Mercedes, uh, uh, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz, mm-hmm. you know, my friends all have Porsches, I must make amends. Uh, that is not what this is. You're going to get the desires of your heart. It's the things of God that become more more precious to you as you delight in him.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Let me know what question you have for him. 877-933-2484. All right, Mark, was our soul or spirit alive before we were born. It says in the Bible that he knew us before we were born.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can go uh, too conclusively on that one, Bill. Uh, the whole thing about this immaterial part of us uh, and and by immaterial I'm not saying that it doesn't matter I'm saying that it isn't matter it's Mm non-physical we have a body and then we have all kinds of words to describe the part of us that isn't physical we use words like mind and soul spirit uh, conscience emotion all these things and uh, when that is instigated it appears to be when we are conceived. And that's why the pro-life movement gets so worked up about this, because before we were even born, David says this, that God knew him and and, 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 uh, that he knows us. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, we have actually come into existence yet. So I I don't think you can necessarily um, connect those two up, that there's some kind of pre-existence that Uh, I don't know about you, that's going to get me speculating, you know, Mm -hmm. what was I then? Are we going to get into the whole reincarnation thing where I was some king in Babylon, you know, in one of my previous lives? (laughs) Uh, That's a a, a road I don't know if anybody really wants to pursue that. Mm -hmm. So I'd be careful about uh, uh, emphasizing that. Bill, this is one of those that I just kind of zip my lips when the Bible doesn't talk about it. I get it.
0: I appreciate that, Mark. I think that's uh, good counsel. Dr. Mark Muska is going to continue to be my guest for the full hour. And if you have a question, let me know what it is. Maybe you were in a Bible study this week, maybe even this morning and something came up and you didn't quite know what to do with it. And there's a verse, there's a passage, there's a person in in the Bible, there's a character, there's something. Let me know. 877-933-2484. And we'll be right back. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand, no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app in your app store today. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. So glad to be back with Dr. Mark Muska. I love this hour. It's called "Ask the Professor." I learn so much. I bet you do too. And I love that there are so many good questions that come in, and hey, they're people real. People
1: are thinking, Bill.
0: Not only are they thinking, but they're asking questions yep. that I want to know the answer to myself. That's right. Personally, like, uh, you know, I, I, I love, I love this question. Now I got to find it again.
1: Well, you know, while you're finding it. When I was teaching, Bill, I always used to encourage questions in class because I'd say to my students, you know, if you raise your hand and ask a question, sure, as shooting. There's going to be five or six people in the class that have the same question, but they're chicken, you know. That's they true. They won't
0: raise their hand. That's so true. So I, I love it when okay. people do that. So. I found it. How do you know when God is speaking to you, especially in the time of a critical or important decision in your life where, like, you just really need God to show up and, and give you a clear-cut path how do you know when he's speaking to you? Yeah. I'm going to start with the end of what you said there. You want God to give you a clear-cut path. Yes. Well,
1: uh, welcome to living by faith, friend. Okay. Uh, I like that, that. That is going to be something where you still make decisions and you have confidence that the God is not misleading you, but you still have to step off and take that step of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, we, can, we can have uh, lots of ways that will help confirm that or cause you to question it if you're uh, making some kind of decision. But first thing I, out of the box with that, Bill, is if you want to hear God speaking to you, read the Bible. That's 100 percent. It's going to be there for you. You know, a uh, lot of the time in the church today, people want these special voices from God to speak to them. Sometimes they want it even audibly that God will uh, say something they can hear. And uh, I'm not disputing that, that God has certainly done it plenty of times in the Bible, and there's all kinds of testimonies that God does that, but that's uh, fairly rare compared to the reliability that we have when we read God's Word. That's yeah. God speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking about making decisions on that, make sure that you're in God's Word and you're you're listening to what He's teaching you through His Word because sometimes God will connect things up for you in crazy ways with what you're reading in the Bible and you're going, how did God know that I, I was going to read that today and that just exactly what I'm dealing with I have to make this decision about? And you you glorify God. For connecting the dots for you and mm-hmm. through his word. but uh, I am open to the leading of God with qualifications Bill, that it's something that especially if the decisions are important, if they're going to uh, uh, involve years of your life, you know someone is thinking about a marriage, for example, that's one of the biggies for people. Uh, that's somebody you're going to be with for a while. And But then are you going to go on the mission field and spend the next 10 years overseas? Or are you going to take this job in Seattle that's going to take you away from your family? Mm-hmm. And uh, this, Those are big ones. And so the bigger the decision, the more cautious I am about thinking that I'm going to hear some voice from God. I still ask for it. I still rely on him to lead me, especially in that negative way, Bill, that if I'm screwing this up, Lord, please step in, would you? <laughs> right. If I'm not getting this right, if I'm not seeing something I need to see in order to make a good and a wise decision, help me with that. Uh, but otherwise, uh, yes, ask the Lord to speak to your heart, to be able to lead you, but those heart things, once you get into the subconscious and heart things like that, it's also possible to be misled or misinterpret what we're feeling. And so that's when it's always great to bring in other people and their guidance and their counsel, especially if they got some gray hair or no hair that they've lived a while and they've mm-hmm. got some experience that they can bring things in that you maybe you didn't think about. And that will help you if you're making a big decision. And then to uh, uh, definitely involve the other people that might be engaged in this decision with you. It's not just affecting you, but it might be your whole family or it might be a group of people in your church or something. So those are always uh, caution points to so you don't wander off too far and say, well, the Lord told me to go and be a pastor in Irian Jaya. Right. Well, that's great. Uh, where is Erin Jaya? I don't know, but he's telling me to do that. Uh, do you have any background in being a pastor or doing anything like that? Nah, not really. So do you see the yellow light flashing here at totally. this point to say, be cautious? I'm not saying no. That you, I'm not going to. Close the door to it, but you better be cautious mm-hmm. and cautiously open to the leading of God in those subjective kind of ways. But I'm coming back to it, though. You want to hear God's voice, read the Bible.
0: Amen. I love that. All right, Mark. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Ooh, yeah. Genesis 6, verse 3 says that man's days will be numbered to 120 years but it appears that many after the flood lived much longer for example shem's descendants in chapter 11 mm-hmm. is this an inconsistency
1: no it's a generalization in the god's uh, uh his dealing with people because before this if you read genesis these guys lived to whopping ages you know of 700 800 900 years and so it, it it's it's god saying uh I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to limit that. They're not going to have that kind of longevity. But does that mean that somebody's sweating bullets when you're coming up to their 120th birthday and, oh, man, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a goner as soon mm-hmm. as the clock hits midnight on my birthday. I, I don't think we can uh, force the text to say something like that.
0: Okay, I like that. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Get real bold and ask any question you like, and we'd be more than happy to try to answer it. Here's an interesting question. When the Lord raises someone from the dead, he Mm -hmm. says, give them something to eat. Why? Is being dead make you hungry?
1: I don't know. That's really, you know, that's a mystery, isn't it? I don't (laughs) think it does, but, you know, I've never been dead, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this, it's fun because this is something that comes right out of Mark 5. Uh, the church, Karen and I have been attending here in Sioux Falls. The pastor's working his way through Mark 5. He's doing a great job with it. And in there is this story about uh, Jairus's daughter, where uh, she is sick. And Jairus, he's a, uh, an official of the synagogue. And he comes to Jesus and he says, you know, come and heal my daughter before she dies. Well, on his way to the daughter, she does die. But it's an awesome, awesome scene here that uh, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. And then Jesus goes in, and this is, I'm just going to read the text here. This is in Mark 5, and uh, he goes here. In verse 40, it says, the mourners there began laughing at Jesus. But putting them all out, Jesus took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up or arise. And here it is, Bill. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. So that's where you're getting this question. The other one is, too, when Jesus himself in his resurrected body appears to the apostles in Luke 24, they think he's a ghost. And so he says, give me something to eat. I think this is, it's possible they're hungry. It's hard to die, I suppose. But uh, I think it's proof that she really is alive, this mm. little girl. And it's proof that Jesus was not a ghost. He had a physical body. Ghosts don't eat stuff. People eat stuff. And so he uh, gave that to them as a confirmation that he really was physically resurrected.
0: Mm, I like that. All right, Mark. I was engaged in a conversation with a Muslim couple yesterday Mm -hmm. about Ramadan and Mm -hmm. other issues. Was I correct to say that parts of the Gospels are also in the Quran? Ooh, that's a good question. And yeah. I don't
1: have the kind of expertise for that one yeah, yeah. to nail that down.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I can
1: say that there is a considerable overlap between Islam and Christianity about Jesus, that Muslims believe that uh, uh, Jesus was a great prophet. Uh, they uh, will uh, at times even hold that he is the Messiah, but they draw the line at him being the son of God. That is where we depart company with Islam. And so uh, it wouldn't surprise me. It all if there were passages from the new testament that show up in the quran uh, that that wouldn't surprise
0: me at all but i just don't know for sure Mm -hmm. mark can we uh go to first john chapter five okay first john that'd be to your left let me get over there i don't mean to tell you what direction to go but
1: i think i'm going right you're telling me to go left No, no, you want to go right (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thanks a lot, I uh, Just, just yeah. checking to see if you're paying attention. No, yeah, I, I don't know if I can trust you now, so here we go. All right, <laughs> All right in verses uh, 6 to 8, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Yeah. I just awesome. would, would love to understand this better.
1: Well, I would like to understand it better myself. Okay. I think he, when Jesus uses uh, words like this where he really doesn't explain it out completely, uh sometimes we're left scratching in our heads a little bit and okay. we have to be careful. I think the the way that this is sometimes understood and I, I agree with this if it's if it sounds like anything, uh there's this this testimony that uh, Jesus is the Son of God. He came by water and blood. That may be appealing to the idea that his ministry and his coming out party as Messiah was when he was baptized with uh, water by John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. And then the culminating event of his life was the last moment of his life when he died and he shed his blood for the sin of the world. And so then the Spirit is the one who testifies to these things now that he is the son of God and between him and the water and the blood, there's a unity there. There's a testimony that's consistent
0: between them. Mm -hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. Let me know what questions you have. 877-933-2484. And from being welcomed as a King to dying a horrible death on the cross, Holy Week is filled with emotion. Walk with Jesus as he travels to the cross this Easter. Join us for the Holy Week study now at MyFaithRadio.com. It's a really big deal that you tune in to listen to the show in the afternoon. So from from me to you, thank you very much for making it something that you do when you're in your car or you're home. Maybe you're uh, getting some exercise and you got the earbuds in. But thank you for listening. It really is a, it makes makes me very happy. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest for the full hour. We already are halfway done. So if you have a question, send it over. Still plenty of time to get your question answered. 877 933 twenty four eighty four eight seven seven nine three three twenty four eighty four all right mark, what are the weapons of warfare, and what are the strongholds that need to be pulled down second corinthians ten four
1: yeah, let me read it please paul 's talking here about being bold with them. Uh, when he's absent and meek face-to-face in chapter 10, verse 1. But then he says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Boy, that last phrase is worth memorizing, isn't Mm -hmm, it? Taking every thought captive. And so uh, Paul here is getting into a domain we don't see clearly, but that does not make it any less real that this is the spiritual domain. There are things and and uh, creatures that are stacked against us. Thankfully, he tells us a little bit more about that over in Ephesians 6 when he's finishing up the book and he says, Finally, as chapter 6, verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to itemize the full armor of God. In verse 13, therefore take up the full armor of God so you'll be able to resist the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. So he says, gird your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And take up the shield of faith where you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take on this helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Wow, you know, that can get you going because so much of the time, especially in this naturalistic world we live in today in North America, we dispute this spiritual domain, Bill, and it's uh, it's very dangerous because they are powers that will make us miserable and defeat us if we do not take it to the Lord and trust him in the midst of this
0: battle. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest, 877-933-2484. Ask any question you like. Mark, how did people in the Old Testament experience the Holy Spirit since he was not yet indwelling?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't know if I'm going to satisfy with every, everybody with this one uh, because... Uh, the uh, the teaching on it is fairly sparse in the Old Testament. Uh, that uh, I'm going to start with the New Testament, that one of the things that Jesus made explicit to the disciples and the disciples made explicit with those who put their faith in the gospel, that one of the great gifts that they would be given is every one of them— would receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that the Spirit himself lives in our bodies. Every one of us who put our faith in the gospel, that that is something that we all have. He says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Every one of you who puts your faith in the gospel will have this presence of the Spirit with you. In fact, Jesus calls him the companion, that he's right there with you, just like someone walking alongside you for every person who puts their faith in the gospel. You don't see that kind of language used in the Old Testament, Bill. That the Spirit's activity, he's obviously involved with creation. He's involved with the giving of God's word. And the two groups he especially seems to be involved with are the prophets and the kings of Israel. That, the, first of all, the prophets, it's, it's um, recorded many times that the Spirit of God comes upon them. And they're given these messages to, to relay to the people from God because of the Spirit's prompting them to give these messages. Uh, We can look at a couple dozen illustrations of that in the Old Testament. And then the kings also, they were one of the the, uh, great gifts of being the king of Israel is that you have the spirit of God who comes upon you. And uh, this is illustrated, I'm paging over there right now, but this is illustrated really well in uh, 1 Samuel 16, where uh, Saul is the king of Israel, and uh, he's the kingdom is going to be taken away from him, and it's going to be given to David. And Samuel, the prophet, goes. God instructs him to go to Bethlehem and find this new king and anoint him to be king. And God points out that David is the one. It surprises Samuel. He didn't think it was going to be David. He's the kid. But this is this is what takes place here. God tells Samuel to anoint David to be the next king. And I'm reading here in 1 Samuel 16, 13. And it says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And now listen. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. And then verse 14, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. So this presence of the spirit was apparently one of the benefits that these kings of Israel had when they were anointed as king. So the prophets and the kings, for sure. Other people, maybe, but it's just not real definitive in the Old Testament.
0: Mm hmm. All right, Mark. My next question comes from the sixth book of John. Um, no, I'm sorry. Sixth Mark. What? Mark. No, no, no. Mark chapter six. OK. Yes. Yeah, sorry. That's that's close. It's the sixth book of John and Mark six. That's, <laughs> that's really close, Bill. Yeah. So Yeah. It's it's been a long day. Uh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I shouldn't pick on you. No, that's okay. I like, I like when you pick on me. Well, you were picking on me earlier, that's too. That's true. So, yeah. That's true. Okay. Yeah. So, the twelve... Uh, G- the, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure s- spirits. Yeah. Yep. Now, here's my question. Here were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey, yep. except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. No cell phone, no nothing, right? Yep. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. When you enter the house, stay there until you leave that town. I'm just trying to think, how would they be receiving that message to leave without <laughs> bread, bag, <laughs> money, nothing? What's the principle? What are we supposed to be learning in this? Yeah, I think they learned plenty. <laughs> yeah. I can see their eyes
1: getting wider. And uh, maybe even questioning Jesus about that, you know, what are we going to do? But evidently, he wants them to go out and trust him and trust the Father to take care of all of their needs on this trip. And so they are not to uh, depend on themselves for anything having to do with this trip. Now, again, these trips are fairly rare, who he tells when he tells them to do this, I don't okay. think we can make this some generalizable principle okay. for us when we go out and we send missionaries out, that type of thing. Yeah. But, but it is one whale of a lesson for them. You have to remember too, Bill, it's not quite as startling as it might seem because we have to remember in the Middle East, even yet today, but back then, 2000 years ago, hospitality was one of the main virtues of that region of the world. Mm-hmm. They valued it highly. And so if these men would come, two men would come into a town like this, there would be people that would welcome them into their home in in the name of Adonai, you know, that this this was very common kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it isn't like they'd be left sitting next to the well with no place to stay and nothing to eat, that kind of thing. So I I think we can speculate that that is plausible here when they go out. It's the force of what Jesus is saying, though, is don't be preparing and depending upon yourself. Trust God here to do almost everything for you except proclaim the message. That's what you're going to do. Yeah is proclaim the message, but he will take care of the rest of your needs. It's so radical,
0: yet I love it. Yep, yep. Take nothing. Yep. Pretty impressive. Yeah. All right, Mark, here's another question. Let's see here. Um, Does God have a heavenly hierarchy? Are the hosts of heaven different than other angels?
1: Yeah, that, uh, boy, I don't know if we can... Developed that very far. Okay. That yeah. there is there is the heavenly host. They're talked about quite a bit of the time. There are some angels that are singled out. We hear their names. Uh, Gabriel and Michael are a couple of them in particular. Uh, does that mean they have higher rank? They are – Michael is described as an archangel or a prince of angels. So that – Tells us a couple things that he has a rank evidently that's higher than other angels, and that there is some kind of ranking thing going on there. How involved that is, where? But it's, it seems to be a military rank as well that they carry out God's. Uh, God's plans and purposes as the armies of the Lord the host of God Uh, do they have as many ranks as we have in our armies today in the United States with generals and colonels and majors and so forth down the line Uh, I don't know if we can get that specific but it does seem as though there is some kind of ranking going on here so uh, we get little tips and ideas there but it's not really spelled out for us C.S. Lewis had a great time with this in a couple of his non uh, fiction books, uh, the uh, the uh, trilogy that he wrote uh, uh, that uh, talked about all these uh, hierarchies of angels that were assigned to different planets in the solar system. And it really gets everybody's mind expanded to think of maybe that's possible.
0: We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Mark, would you talk about the positions that exist about rapture versus not versus no rapture. Uh, a listener is saying that he recently heard that there may not be a rapture mm-hmm. and was saying please explain this position because it uh, is confusing Christians.
1: Yeah, it's been confusing people for a long time. Yeah, that's what I thought. And so uh, I'm going to go to a passage a good place to start Bill is over in 1st Thessalonians 4. And in here Uh, The Thessalonians are young Christians, and Paul's answering questions, and it appears as though they had a question about any of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who died before Jesus returned. Would they miss out on anything? And to answer that question, Paul lays out for us a great passage to explain what's going to happen around the return of Christ. And I'm just going to read this. In fact, the first couple of verses are great at the funeral of a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus. That uh, I'm just going to start here. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13, where Paul says to these Thessalonian Christians, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, who've died physically, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. We don't grieve. Like those who have no hope, we have great hope. So he says, For if we believed that Jesus died and rose again, even as God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who've died in Jesus, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep or have died in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And now this is the verse in verse 17 where we get this idea of the rapture. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And that idea in verse 17 where it says, "Though we who are alive and remain will be caught up. This is where we get this word rapture from. And so in that sense, uh, uh, Bill, I do believe in the rapture because this tells us we will be caught up Mm -hmm. to be with the Lord forever. And we're to comfort one another with those words. And that's the main thing I try to take out of this. The timing of this rapture is where we get into all kinds of uh, disputes. There's, uh, uh, there's a group that uh, will talk about this rapture taking place simultaneously when Jesus descends to the earth to bring in the final judgments. So it's almost like he's on his way from the heavens to earth and on his way he raptures or catches up all of us into the air and then we turn right back around with him and go to the earth and take part in these final judgments it's a perfectly defensible position mm-hmm. to have
0: on that wasn't when jesus ascended into heaven from the mount of olive olive yes he mm-hmm. was raptured up i mean he was caught up yes. taken up into heaven wouldn't they have witnessed that as a, a rapture event
1: I, I suppose, but that's not where all this argument comes from.
0: I, I know, but it's almost like it's a forerunner to what it might be like oh, when I we're see. raptured. Yep, yep, yep.
1: That that's That's a good point. It's very similar when he ascends into heaven. So that's one of the views, to say the rapture and the second coming of Christ are virtually simultaneous. Mm-hmm. They happen one right on top of the other. The other major view of this, and remember... Anybody who believes the scripture believes we're going to be caught up to be with the Lord and we're going to be with him forever. So this is a discussion among everybody who believes that. Okay? Yeah. And the one group thinks it's simultaneous with Jesus' second coming. The other group sees it happening seven years earlier than that, than the coming of Christ. And they base this on several Uh, prophecies all through the scriptures. Uh, Daniel 9 is a big one for this, where it talks about Daniel's 70 weeks of years that uh, prophesies the Lord's return. And so there's another defensible position here that says that there is going to be two phases to Jesus' return. One of them is when he only comes in the air, in the clouds, to rapture those who belong to him. Then there's going to be this terrible seven-year period of time that Jesus himself calls this great tribulation in Matthew 24. And at the end of that tribulation is when Jesus returns with everybody else and judges the earth.
0: All right, Mark, we're getting in trouble with Rosie here. We have to take a break. Uh, we'll be oh, right back. Ask okay. the Professor 877-933-2484. I'm back with Dr. Mark Muscom. Ask the Professor. It's been a lively hour. If you missed any of it, I always encourage you to go to the beginning. You can check that out at the podcast at myfaithradio.com. Mark, I bet you've got a couple concluding thoughts as we started a discussion about the rapture, and I know you've got a couple more things to say, so please.
1: Yeah, uh, Just to, we got cut off a little early there, but I would just summarize, Bill, by saying people who believe the Bible believe that we're going to be caught up to be with Christ and be with him forever, and that's what I like to emphasize, the timing of that to me, isn't nearly so as important as the reality that it's going to happen. And so for those who discuss this, I hope you don't get into arguments and start breaking fellowship and all that kind of stuff over these ideas about the timing of this rapture or this being taken up. It, it isn't worth it uh, that we, we need to major on the majors here. Jesus is coming for us, and we're going to be forever with him. That's what the most important thing is to
0: remember. Mm-hmm. All right, in John chapter 6, I'm, I'm getting back to the 6th chapter of John, so sure. I, I am still going to talk about this. In verse 29, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the works of God. Yeah. How do we okay. accomplish the works of god well let's get the context in here
1: because jesus that, that that's kind of halfway in the conversation I know. here so i'm gonna go back to verse 26 here where jesus it says jesus answered them the people and said truly truly i say to you you seek me not because you saw signs but because you are uh, you ate the loaves and were filled didn't we talk about that last time i think we did. For Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. And now this is where they ask this. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And then he says, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the you're not gonna earn anything here, some kind of wage. Doesn't it sound like Romans six twenty-three mm-hmm. that the wage is a sin is death. If you wanna earn something, you're gonna die. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Jesus is trying to make a point here. You're not gonna work for anything to get this other than to put your trust in the gospel. you got to depend on me that I am the source of forgiveness of sins and peace with God. Not anything you can do to somehow compile brownie points with God where it'll make you acceptable to God doesn't work.
0: So good. All right, Mark, let me get this passage. I will read it. It is Hebrews chapter 3. And in verse 13, it says, But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, yeah. so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I I think we should be talking about this every day.
1: It's a great reminder, isn't it? Yeah, I like it verse is. 12, too, where he says, Take care, brothers. There not be any any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Don't do that, the writer of Hebrews is saying. On the other hand, how do we avoid that? By encouraging one another, day after day, as long as it's called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know, it seems like encouragement is on short supply, doesn't it, Bill?
0: I agree, Mark. If you
1: want critics and cynics and all that, they're a dime a dozen. Everybody can tell you the seven things that the pastor screwed up in his sermon last Sunday. But uh, we have to have a whole month for encouraging pastors. Otherwise, we don't think of it. And that's uh, that's just one of many things where we we need to encourage each other. Hey, you know, you're struggling, but you know, Christ, I remember you you put your faith in the gospel uh, 7 years ago and you've been walking with God so don't give up the ship well thanks a lot brother i needed to hear that you know mm-hmm. that that kind of encouragement is priceless and yet it seems it's so hard for us to uh, to uh, come across with that kind of encouragement. I bet again, we've talked about this a couple of times today, but I would guess that the listeners can think of those two or three encouragers in their life. And as they think of them, they smile because they cherish them. They're wonderful.
0: Mm -hmm. Mark, in the, in the gospel of Mark, the word immediately, the English word immediately uh, shows up at least 35 times. I mean, Peter and Andrew immediately leave their nets to follow the Lord. It seems like the word immediately is used all the time in Mark. What's up with that?
1: yeah I like it because mark he's kind of got some action going he you does know? <laughs> he 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 really loves to keep things moving and uh, he's a lot shorter than the other gospels, so he's got to keep it moving you know <laughs> I mean there's only sixteen chapters there mm-hmm. so but it does give you a sense I like this bill we don't talk about the literary features of the gospels enough and the Bible enough. these guys were intentional by writing like that they wanted to carry an idea that uh in my opinion at least that, that this is a movement that is starting here with Jesus and going to be continued by the Holy Spirit. And you better catch up because it's moving. And so these disciples, they hear Jesus, and immediately they leave their nets and follow him. And the other illustrations here, too, there's a lot of action that takes place without a whole lot of wavering and uh, second-guessing and that kind of thing. Uh, Mark really seems to emphasize that.
0: And so he's really using this word to to signal the the importance of what he's saying, and whatever event he's talking about, he wants you to. It's a is it just a literary technique he's using? Hey, pay attention! This is important.
1: Yep, and not just this is important, but get moving here. Get moving, yeah. You know, the church isn't supposed to be an institution; it's supposed to be a movement. So this brings that out.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a fun way to end, Mark. Thank you again for being uh, such an amazing guest and friend. I know you've probably got another uh, 30 seconds. Do you have a a person you'd like to shout out? Oh, I do.
1: My friend Herb. And uh, affectionately called Turb, but Herb is battle- <laughs> battling leukemia, and he's in the war with his wife Donna. They are soldiers uh, for God and believing Him by faith. And so, people, you want to pray for somebody who's sick. Uh, Herb is in a battle; it's going to be going on for a while, but he's doing great, and there's good signs of the chemo doing what it's supposed to do. And so, uh, I just uh, I I love those two, and I I pray, uh, my wife and I pray for them uh, th- that they can. And see god work in their lives regardless of what direction this
0: goes yeah that's a wonderful you're a wonderful friend mark uh for loving herb and donna the way you are and i know that story can be replicated many 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 times by listeners right now so yep. thank you for that and enjoy the rest of your uh first day of spring in yep. Sioux Falls. god bless you and god, rosie too so. god bless yep indeed yep thank you so much dr mark Muska has been my guest if you want to Make sure you don't miss anything from today's show. You can check out the podcast. It's available a couple hours, hopefully, after the show. You can find that at myfaithradio.com. Thank you for joining me today. I just love being with you. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.